Now, a week ago uh, today, the United States saw one of its worst massacres in its history um, at an open or at a country concert in Las Vegas as a gunman opened fire. So 58 uh, people were killed, over 530 people wounded. And I mean, when I woke up Monday morning and I, I look at the, the news headlines on my phone, it's like my heart broke for, for the people who were impacted by that. But at the same time, um, what I hate is that I'm not overly shocked when I read these things anymore. It's more of a not again, not a I can't believe this happened type thing. And so a nation, a state, a city, families, lives, all hurting because of this um, act of evil. Now, unfortunately, this isn't the, the first time this has happened. It won't be the last. And in these times, we're reminded um, that we're not in control, but that we need somebody who's bigger and greater than us to turn to. And thankfully, we have God. And these times remind us that our only hope for true peace is in um, Christ. But as a result of what happened, um, I, I had some friends on Facebook, cynical ones, who were sharing um, a post of a, a stand-up comedian's routine. And I, I couldn't show it here because if I did, I'd lose my job. It's not appropriate. Um, lots of angry emails would come my way. But in this post, um, the comedian, he, he said every time something like what happened in Las Vegas or Edmonton or even a natural disaster like the flooding in Houston, every time it happens, everybody does the same thing. They run to their computer, they get on it, maybe their phone, and then they go, thoughts and prayers. And they go, thoughts and prayers with the, the people in Las Vegas, thoughts and prayers um, with the families who've been displaced in Houston. And, and he goes on to say, you know what your thoughts and prayers are worth? Nothing. He says, if, if you had compassion, you'd be there, you, you'd give money, you'd invest your time. Um, and while I disagree with him on, on prayer being worthless, because I'd be the wrong guy to be up here preaching if I agreed with him, he brings up a good point. What is it that people hope to accomplish in posting things like thoughts and prayers? And I don't want to question everybody's motives in posting thoughts and prayers, but, but sometimes you've got to go, like, is he right? What is somebody's motive? Is, is, it, is it selfish? Do they want the attention? Because he kind of finished his routine by saying, anytime somebody posts thoughts and prayers, what they're really saying is, hey, don't forget about me. Lots of crazy things happening in the news right now, but don't forget about sad me. Um, that's that's what he, his point was. And I mean, maybe we should ask ourselves, what is our motive in posting things like that? Is it a selfish motive or is it a sincere motive? I mean, if you come across somebody, um, maybe we've all had family, friends who are just going through a brutal time, kind of a, a hard time in life, and they're, they're kind of laying it out and we hear it and, and we go, um, I'm praying for you. When we say that, do we actually mean it? Or, or are we just kind of saying, like, I'm not dead inside. I, I'm not cold-hearted. I'm, I, I sympathize with you. And so what I kind of want to ask is, what is the difference between powerful prayer and mere sentimentality? Now, when Jesus um, began to teach his disciples how to pray, he forever changed the pattern of prayer. The Lord's Prayer, it's, it's simple, it's, it's brief, it's childlike in language, but when you pray it, the implications are actually profound. When Jesus gave this prayer, he took liberties that the people of his day would never take in prayer. He, he asked for things, he expected to get them, but yet he wasn't arrogant. Um, it's not a selfish prayer. 
And so we're studying the Lord's Prayer over these um, next nine weeks or continuing in it. And as we, as we put what we learn into practice, we're expecting and hoping to see breakthroughs in our relationship with God and in our lives. But what I really want to ask is, um, what is the correct way to approach prayer? Now, in Matthew chapter 6, 9, Jesus starts teaching his disciples. He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And in starting the prayer with our Father, Jesus isn't just kind of putting out a formality, trying to get God's attention, like, God, I'm channeling you in here. Please pay attention to me. It's not that. These words tell us who God is and who we are in relationship to him. And these first few words should cause us to think about every word that is going to follow in our prayer. Now, we know that we're drawn into a relationship with God through um, Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. We're, we're made part of the family as God adopts us. And Jesus is saying, claim that status as a child of God in your prayers. But notice that Jesus says, don't start with my father, as in the singular. He says, pray our father, the plural. And the plural continues throughout the entire prayer. Now, While we say I have a personal relationship with God, I have to understand that my relationship with God is not in isolation. I don't get to say I'm the only child of God. Nobody gets to claim that. And so right at the beginning, um, we see that we're part of a family, the church, and Jesus is saying our prayers should be said with the family in mind. Praying our Father should cause us to stop and ask How is what I'm going to pray for going to affect the family? How is what I'm going to pray for going to affect my brothers and my sisters in Christ? And so we don't get to pray as if our prayers only affect us because they don't. There's no room for selfish prayers. But the good thing is our prayers can benefit others. Now, the fact that we get to call God Father in prayer is pretty amazing. Now, God is not a father as in a flesh and blood being, but he is, um, scripture says, God is spirit. But what Jesus does to kind of help us understand who God is to us is he borrows from human language, and he says God is like a father who relates to us personally, lovingly, and as a good father does to their child. Now, I, I know, like, some people, when, when they hear God is like a father, that's, that's not like a good thing. Because your relationship with your dad might not have been a good relationship. Your dad might not have been a good father. Maybe your, your father was a great um, father. He, he, he did what he could for you. And maybe he tried his best and he came up short. And every father comes up short in some regard. But Jesus is saying God is this perfect father. He wants what is best for his children. He doesn't let them down. And so often when we, we talk to God, we try and make sure we're using the right words that, that God would want to hear. And so we pray and we're like, oh, heavenly, majestic, sovereign, righteous God, thine glory and thy power art beautiful. Thou, like I can't even pray this way because that's not the language I use. But what Jesus is getting at is that since God is a father, You can pray intimately. You can pray simply. You don't have to worry about getting the these, thys, thous correct. So our prayers should be more like respectful family conversation with a father who provides, disciplines, cares, comforts, secures, and above all, loves us. We don't have to change the way we talk in order for God to listen to us. 
Now, Jesus says we're praying to our Father who is in heaven. And when Jesus says heaven, he's not talking about a geographic location. What he's doing um, is, is making a point. God is omniscient. God, or omnipresent, sorry. He's everywhere. And so Jesus is making this point. God occupies the highest level of our conceptual powers. We can't imagine all there is to God. And what we can understand of God, it stretches our minds to their maximum. And he goes beyond that. Now, our sun is 2.7 million miles in circumference. It's 92.6 million miles away from Earth. The Earth itself hurtles through our solar system at a distance of uh, 585.6 million miles in 365 days, 5 hours, 48 minutes, and 49 seconds, all the while it's turning at a speed of more than 1,000 miles an hour, and it completely revolves around self uh, in 23 hours, 56 minutes, 4 and one ninth second. And so um, we, we go our solar system pretty big. The farthest we've gotten man really is to get on the moon, and there's many planets beyond that. Now, our solar system is actually just a small part of a galaxy called the Milky Way galaxy, and we're, we're on the edge of that galaxy. Now, we go, wow, our, our, our galaxy is pretty big, but you step back in the Hubble telescope, it, it took some deep um, field pictures, and it shows that there are more than one trillion galaxies, and the average galaxy probably has about 100 million stars. And so this is just what we can, we can see and kind of what we're, we're, we're guessing, estimating. And, and we, we can kind of wrap our minds around this. We're going, man, those are some big numbers, like the space is big or something like that. But yet God the Father transcends all of it. He's the one who spoke it all into existence. And what is Jesus' point in saying, our Father in heaven, the God we worship, the one we call Father, he's not limited to a particular building, a particular place, but transcends all creation. He is greater than what we can comprehend. Now, Jesus goes on to pray, hallowed be thy name or be your name. In the Bible, we see that God has many names. And we're not going to go through each name because we don't really have time to cover all of that. But each name reveals a different aspect of God's character, um, his, his nature, his personality. His names reveal who he is to us. They draw attention to his attributes like his omniscience, his omnipresence, his omnipotence. They show us that God is a holy, loving, just, and merciful God. I mean, God always demonstrates in Scripture that he is good to his name. You can look at his track record, and he never fails to live up to it. And so when we pray, hallowed be your name, what we're asking is that God's name would be held in reverence, that, that it would be kept as holy. But here's the thing. As soon as you pray, hallowed be your name, you have to realize that praying that then, then means you have to do something about it. it. It it impacts everything you pray for. It impacts how you live. Everything that we then pray for after that, everything we do should be done to honor his name. The only way we can honor God's name is to subject ourselves to his will. And so this is why Paul will say things in his writings like, do everything to the glory of God. Now, let's just imagine um, I have some need, and I need the federal government to take care of it. And so I get out my phone, and I, I, I look in, in the, it up on Google. I'm like, Justin Trudeau's cell phone number. I can't find it. 
Um, and, and so I start calling through different levels, and I go through many different tiers of, of the government or whatever you want to say, trying to get hold of our prime minister, Justin Trudeau. I'm never going to get to talk to Mr. Trudeau. Um, I, I might get to certain levels, but here's the thing. Um, at some point, somebody's going to go, listen, James um, Stevenson from Halifax, as important as you think your need is, Mr. Trudeau is far too important. Mr. Trudeau is far too busy. He's got too many things to do than talk to James Stevenson from Halifax. Not a dig at Mr. Trudeau, but it's just kind of what is going to be. Now, God's responsibilities trump those of our prime minister. No comparison. And what's amazing is that while God is the creator, the sustainer of our universe, these, these responsibilities that he has that baffle our minds. Jesus is telling us, you don't have to go through other people to get to God. You have direct access to him. With all God is and all God does, he still has the time, all the time you need to listen to your prayers. God is, is far more ready to listen to your prayers and to answer your prayers than you are actually to pray to him. He's a good father. He, he desires to hear from his children. And so you've been given direct access to God because of what Christ has done for you. And so when we approach prayer, we often go, oh, it feels like punishment. It feels like something I have to do. Prayer is actually a privilege that is, is given to us as children. Now, while we're able to call God Father, um, we still need to approach him with wonder and respect. Um, we need to respect who God is. And Jesus gives some instructions on how to approach God in prayer or how we approach prayer. And so we're in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. We start in verse 9. We're going back up to verse 5. We're going to work our way down. But Jesus says, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And so notice right off the bat, Jesus says, when you pray, not if but when? There's this assumption that his disciples are going to pray. And then there's two things Jesus says, don't do this when you pray. First, don't be like the hypocrites who love to stand praying in the synagogues or on the street corners to be seen and praised by others. Now in Jesus' day, Jewish people who were, who were faithful, they would pray three times each day, the morning, the afternoon, and the evening. And each time of prayer, there was 18 different supplications or prayer requests that they had to make. And so their prayers were long and they were kind of complicated. And so what would happen is, oh, it's time for prayer. You'd stop what you were doing and, and you would say your prayers regardless of where you were. But what Jesus has noticed is that these hypocrites, what they like to do is like, oh, time of prayer is coming up. I better get to the street corner, better get to the synagogue so that I can do my prayers there so that people will see what I'm, I'm praying for. And they pray out loud. Now, Jesus is not condemning public prayer for the public benefit. Jesus would not come into a church service and go, I, I, I thought I told you guys not to pray publicly. Just like, let, let's shut this down. Like, that's not what Jesus would do. He himself prayed publicly. 
What Jesus is denouncing is private prayer made public for private benefit. Jesus is condemning saying prayers that only need to be between you and God out loud for everybody to hear so that people will go, man, that guy's holy. Listen to the requests he's making of God. What a righteous, God must be so pleased with that guy. That's what Jesus is denouncing. Now, Jesus calls these people out. He says, your prayer might be addressed to God, but it's actually directed to the people in your audience. And so what they really want to achieve in their prayer is to be seen and praised by others. And Jesus is saying, you know what? They're going to get exactly what they want, but that's all they're going to get, noticed by others. The prayers aren't sincere. They're not directed to God, so they're empty and they're ineffective. Now, most of us don't struggle in this area. Like, I've, I've yet to go downtown Halifax or see on Lacewood, like, out on the, like, praying in public loudly for everybody to hear. Again, if I, I said this first service, if I ever see you doing that, I'm going to avoid you. Um, I'm just going to pretend I don't know you at all. But there's some good questions to ask out of this. The first one is this. Is the bulk of my prayer life or the prayers in my life secret or public. And what I mean by that is, do you have more prayer in your life because you go to church and you hear a pastor or a worship leader pray, and you go to life group and you hear somebody pray there? Is that the bulk of the prayers in your life, or is the bulk of your prayers in your life alone, in secret, just you and God? Do your prayers change depending on who is around? Do I say things to people or post things online to make other people think I'm more spiritual than I actually am? Am I trying to impress anyone in some way with my prayer life? Now, the second thing Jesus says not to do is to go on babbling like pagans. And what Jesus is is talking about are these people of um, different religions where they had a plurality, many gods, particularly the Greeks and the Romans in his day. And so what these pagans would do is they'd have a long list of of the names of their gods or have it mentally, and they'd just kind of go through the names of the gods on repeat, and then they'd just kind of keep saying the the same requests over and over. And what they were hoping to do is that in repeating the prayers is that they're going to get the attention of some god that can help them and and give them what they want. But but Jesus says, like, they don't get it because their gods are false. They, They can't do anything. But you can picture these people just going through the list of their God, going, please hear me. Please respond. I need this. Please, someone, nothing. And in some ways, these people, in many ways, are are to be pitied. And Jesus, in saying, don't go on babbling like the pagans, is saying to his disciples, do not act as if God the Father is the same as any other God. He doesn't have to be pestered. He doesn't have to be coaxed. He doesn't have to be convinced um, to hear your prayers and to answer them. He's demonstrated himself ready to do this. He says it, Psalm 91, chapter 15. When you are in trouble, call out to me. I will answer and be there to protect you and honor you. And so God is listening. He is ready to hear your prayers. And so what I want us to make sure is that our mind participates in our prayers and not just our mouths. I mean, ask yourself this honestly. What are, what are your prayers like? 
When, when you sit down to give thanks for a meal, is it kind of the same thing? Maybe with kids, you sing the same song every time. When you, when you go to bed, you, you or putting your kids in bed, you kind of go like, um, Lord, I lay me down to sleep. I pray this night my soul you'll keep. If tonight, I can't even pray it. But essentially, the, the, the message of that song is, God, I'm going to bed. Please don't, don't let me die. Um, it's kind of bleak. But, but do, you, do you pray that one every night? With your kids. I'm not saying it's wrong, but my question is are you treating them like babbled formulas? Are you just trying to get through it all? Are, are, are you thinking about what you're saying? Are you, are you actually putting thought into it? And I'll say this we can easily do this with the Lord's Prayer. Easily. Like, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name, the kingdom come, thy will be done as earth and as in our, on earth as it is in heaven. Usually I won't stumble over it that badly. Um, but but like I can, I can rhyme that thing off easily and not put any thought, any thought into what I'm praying. And so in our prayers, are we putting thought into our conversation with God or are we just treating prayer like some sort of mantra? And don't be found guilty of underthinking your prayers. Now, some of us aren't underthinkers. Some of us are overthinkers. And so when you, when you pray, you wrestle with the feeling that your prayer needs to be a certain length in order for it to count, maybe using the right words, that the, the, the length of the word, the size of the word, um, whatever it is determines the quality or the effectiveness of your prayer. In my life group this past week, that kind of came up, and we talked about some of us wrestle with that. Like We feel like our prayer has to be a certain length. We feel like we have to use certain words when we pray. Um, and so we worry about those things like the right words or the length of time. I think what we do is we create these standards for ourselves in prayer, and then we feel guilty when we, we fail to live up to those self-created standards. And we, we beat on ourselves. I'm just asking, are you placing standards on your prayer life that God has not put on you? Like, are you, are you putting an unnecessary weight on your shoulders? And so the main point Jesus is trying to get across in this teaching is that when you pray, God is not looking at the word count. God is not looking at the clock. God is looking at your heart. That's where God's attention is focused. And so sometimes the only difference between a persistent prayer and empty repetition is the condition of our heart. The words could be identical, but the attitude of the heart is what determines whether it's powerful prayer or just empty words. And maybe God looks at us as we stress over trying to use the right words or, or, or just put in the right amount of time. And he just wants to say to us, like, relax, child. Breathe. Like, I, I know you're worried about the amount of time. I know you're worried about the words I want to hear. I know you're worried about the situation. I know you're worried about trying to say all the things that I want to hear. But you're not actually talking to me. You're more playing mind games in your head. Just relax. Be honest. Talk to me. I already know what's going on. God is a father. He's not fooled when we try to be someone we aren't. Now, a lot of people read the last part of verse 8, and they, where it says, For your father knows what you need before you ask him. And I've heard this question so many times, different ways. But if God knows what I need, why do I need to pray? If God knows what I need, why bother praying? Can't he just give it to me instead of me essentially wasting my time? Um, 
Now, last week we admitted that sometimes we have correct or incorrect attitudes towards prayer. And one of those incorrect attitudes, it says that prayer is informing a supreme being of one's need in the hopes that it will provide them. Now, uh, there's more to prayer than that. And just really quick, again, why does God want us to pray? One, because God wants to hear from us because he desires fellowship and love. Every good father wants to spend time with their kids. That You delight in spending time with your children. God wants us to acknowledge our dependence on him. He gives, he withholds. And God's position as father does not mean he has to give self-indulgent children whatever they want. But God while he owes us nothing, is a good father who loves to bless his children, loves to take care of his family. Prayer also puts us in communion with God, and that makes us ready to receive the answer God intends to give us in prayer. In prayer, we begin to see our needs and our attitudes in a different light, and that brings our will and our desires in line with that of God. And fourthly, in prayer, we express gratitude for God's provision. Recounting God's... um, provision, his blessings towards us. It helps our affection, our love for him to grow. Now, if, if, if you're still going, it, it says right there, God knows what I, what I need before I pray. I don't understand why I need to pray. I don't understand what the point in prayer is. It just feels like a waste of time. Can't God just give to me? Um, if your attitude is that still, it, it screams something loud and clear. You don't want God you want his stuff. You don't want relationship with God. You want what God can give you. And that thing might be getting out of hell free. That thing might be eternal life. That thing might be heaven. And you're like a child who only calls home when they want something from mom or dad. And so it's your desire and prayer to know God or just get his stuff. Now, have you ever seen a car, a watch, a phone, a jacket, something, and you look at it and you go, if I get that one thing, then my life will be complete. Then I'll be um, whole, that my life will be perfect. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but we convince ourselves that it's true. It's like, if I get that, my life will be great. And so you get it, and then you realize, wow, this phone really isn't that much better than the one I I just had. It's pretty much the same this car breaks down just like the one I had before it. And, and so as we get older, something we learn is that um, real peace, joy, satisfaction in life, it does not come from things. You just can't get it. Now, have you ever prayed for something and you've gone, uh, you're praying for healing. You're praying for a relationship restored. You're praying for something good, hoping God will, will say yes to it. And you you convince yourself, if God says yes, gives me what I want, then my life will be complete. I'll have real meaning, peace, satisfaction, joy. And God says yes, and you get that healing, you get that relationship restored, whatever it is. But it doesn't take long to realize, no, you know what? That actually doesn't bring satisfaction, peace, and joy. And here's the thing. Real peace, satisfaction, and joy only come from God. The thing that we need most is God. Timothy Keller said, Religious people find God useful. Growing Christians find God beautiful. And so how can we claim to have intimate relationship with God if our prayers are simply limited to asking God to give us what we want? 
A person who's been a Christian for several years but who cannot and will not pray is an immature Christian, one who's putting themselves in a very dangerous spot. And so ask yourself, do you find God to be more useful or do you find God to be beautiful? And our our prayer life is a, a major indicator of the quality of our relationship with God. And please understand, I'm not trying to anger anybody when I I say things like that. I'm not trying to scare you, but get you to be honest with yourself about your prayer life. And I'm just going to say, as I've prepared for these messages the past two weeks, I've had a lot of wake-up calls where I'm going, man, God has a lot of work to do on me yet. But maybe your struggle with prayer comes from not knowing who God is. Does who you think God is actually line up with what Scripture says? Do you actually know why it is his name is to be kept holy? And I I just feel that if we knew who God is, as much as we can wrap our minds around that, if we knew the affections of his heart, we would find prayer would become a lot easier. And so when Jesus says, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father, he's not saying that if you hide your prayers from the world, God will give you whatever you want. That's not what Jesus is saying, because if that were so, sharing prayer requests would be self-sabotage. But Jesus' point is this. If the difference between an empty prayer or a powerful prayer is where your heart is focused, do everything that you can to make sure your heart is focused on the right person. Do whatever it takes to make sure your prayer is actually directed to God. And so shutting the door is for solitude. Shutting the door is respect for the conversation. Jesus is saying, get away from the crowd, get away from the hurry, the confusion, the distractions. Talk to God in the most honest and intimate way that you can. Going into your room and closing the door, it's not a formula that that God is just going to automatically give you what you want. It's so that you can talk to the one who's supreme, the one who's sovereign, who already knows what you need. It's practical advice given in love so that you can focus your heart on the one who can actually make a difference. And so this week, what I really want to encourage you to do, if you haven't done it before, um, maybe it's been a while, but, but carve out some time in your schedule. Turn off your phone. Put Netflix on for the kids if you have to. But get alone with God. Talk to him honestly. Don't underthink the prayer. Don't overthink the prayer. And realize God is not watching your word count. God's not watching the clock. God is watching your heart.